This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey C3, this morning we are talking about a topic that's filled with a lot of emotion. There's a lot of pain around this. And so before I dive into what I believe God wants me to share this morning, there there are a couple of things I think it's really important for you to know. And if you're a part of C3, you know these things, but there are a lot of you that are joining us today that are not part of C3. You've never been to C3. You don't really know me. And so a couple of things I want to share with you before we get into this. The first thing is this. I have the privilege. In fact, it's one of the greatest honors of my life to pastor a very diverse church, one of the most diverse churches I've ever been in. I used to travel and speak in churches. I've been in a lot of churches, and there's a uniqueness to C3, and part of what makes C3 so special is the deep diversity that is C3. Another thing you need to know is that what I'm going to talk about this morning I think hits home for all of us. It's what's happened in our culture. It's what's been happening in our culture. And with the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery, once again, it brings some things to the surface that for some, it's there all the time, and for others, it's only when a reminder takes place. But here's what I want you to understand. If you are African-American, Hispanic, you're part of C3, you're not part of C3, I want you to know that I understand that I don't fully understand. And so over the last few days, I've had some conversations. I've had some conversations with some people that are not white, but are very close, dear friends of mine and have been for a long time. For years, because I've wanted to learn and I've wanted to understand. And while I know that I, I cannot fully feel what you're feeling, I can't understand the fullness of what you're feeling, I do understand right and wrong. Another thing I want you to know as I share this this morning, because, because this is such an important and such an emotional issue, there may be some things that I say that that you might be tempted to be offended by. There will be some things that I say that could be taken one of two ways. And one way is offensive, perhaps, and the other way is not. Hey, would you just do me the favor this morning of if that happens, as I'm talking through this this morning, if that happens, would you do me the favor of believing the best and assuming that I meant it the way that's not offensive? Because I can promise you, my goal this morning is not to be offensive. Now, if the Holy Spirit of God through Scripture convicts us of our sin and we get offended at that, man, that, that, that's between you and God. But I, I, I'm not approaching this day, this topic, what's happening with how can I offend people. My, my honest prayer has been, God, what do you have to say about this? And as a pastor... My responsibility is to speak to what's happening in culture from the truth of Scripture, really allowing God to speak to it and to speak to the spiritual application of it and where it applies to us on the deepest possible level. 
And so with those things in mind, I'm aware that to the forefront of our attention once again is the horror of injustice and the tragedy of a life that's been uselessly lost, uselessly taken. We feel angered, and that anger from many is clothed in outrage. Our hearts are gripped with sadness. And there is the possibility for what seems to divide us to maybe destroy us. And one more time, as it has too often, the the spotlight shines bright on one singular thing. And that one thing is the sin and the brokenness of our culture. And so as a follower of Jesus, I think there are two questions we must ask and have the courage to answer. I'm not here to debate or discuss the details of the law from a legal perspective. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a lawyer. That, That is not my purpose. My purpose is as a pastor to speak to our human condition and ask a couple of questions as a follower of Jesus. And those two questions are this, what do we believe? Because what we actually believe, not just what we say we believe, what we actually believe informs how we live and the choices we make and how we feel when things like this happen. And then what do we do? What do we believe and What are we going to do about it? Because we can do many things, but not all of them are beneficial. We can do many things, but we must do a few things if we want our sin-sick, broken culture to change. We can be the type of people and the kind of people that add to the noise, or we can be the kind of people that add to the change that needs to take place. As I read about what took place in Georgia, and I watched the video that many of you have seen, and I watched the video of Mr. Arbery's mother, his high school football coach, as they talked about him, and I thought about the senselessness of what's taken place. My mind immediately went to one passage, and if you grew up in Scripture, you're you're going in church. I mean, you're going to be familiar with this passage. If not, it is an incredible story where Jesus teaches this, this universal principle that is true for all time, for all people in all places. It begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The Bible says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that the biggest question we could ever ask? This life passes by so quickly, and we've just been reminded far too quickly for many. But what about the next life? And so this religious leader, with all of his knowledge and all of his goodness and all of his background, and all the conversations he's had with with other religious leaders, there's still this question that demands an answer because this life passes quickly and the next life is forever. So teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, when I read that verse, here's how, here's how I read that verse. There are different ways to read it. I, I read the last part of that verse like this, not how do you read it. I, I read, how do you read it? And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I would ask you, when it comes to 
things that happen in our world, when it comes to the shooting of a young man, a young African-American man loses his life or his life is taken, how, how do you read Scripture? What are the things with the big issues in life that when you go to the Word of God, how do you read it? Do you read it with a casual glance, thinking about what applies to other people, or do you read it in such a way that you're asking God to speak to you in a very personal way, in a way that works in your heart and life, the the transforming power of the gospel working through the Word of God in your life and my life? See, if I read this book in a way that all I'm thinking about is what you need to do, I have misread the book and missed an opportunity for growth. It's of no value for me to approach the Word of God thinking and wondering and focused on what you should do. The benefit is as I approach it, what what do I need to do? How does this apply to my life? So Jesus asked him, how do you read it? What do you think Scripture says? And this religious leader answers in verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God. Now this is interesting. Jesus guides the conversation. The question is asked, how do I inherit eternal life? Biggest question we could ever ask only question that's going to really matter a hundred years from now. And the answer, Jesus says, well, let's look at scripture and the answer of how to inherit eternal life. The the first word in the answer is the word love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Notice the picture that's painted in scripture. Every fiber of your being, everything about who you are, not just what you do, but the attitudes behind it. Who you are at the depth of you, the you that we don't see in the depths of your soul, who you are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These are not two separate thoughts. It is one thought placed together in Scripture, in the Word of God, inspired by God, protected and preserved for us, this passage, even for these times, God communicating to us what is of the utmost value in this season, and that is love God and love your neighbor. Love God with everything in you and love your neighbor at the level that you love yourself. These two thoughts, love God and love your neighbor, they they are not distant cousins. These two thoughts are not thoughts that reside in different neighborhoods. These two thoughts are actually one and the same. You cannot separate them. It is impossible to say that you love God if you don't love your neighbor. And so Jesus responds, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this religious leader. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I believe it is an attempt to ask the question that all too often we ask in life. Okay, how little can I do and still be okay with God? What is the least amount required? (laughs) Who exactly is my neighbor? I I don't want to have to do this with everyone, so who's my neighbor? How little can I get away with? It's interesting, the word neighbor in this text literally means the one near to us. The one near to us. And Jesus replies, and in his reply, he tells a story. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus is making up a story. Jesus is telling a story. The greatest storyteller that ever lived is Jesus, but in every story, he he does because he's Jesus. He does not waste one word. He does not misplace one phrase or statement. It is all precisely as he intends it to be to teach us something. And notice the story he tells. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The one who is highly religious, the one who is actually an official of the church, the one who leads other people in the church, sees tragedy, sees something horrific, and passes by. Maybe he passed by because he thought, I wonder what he did to deserve that. Maybe he passed by because he'd heard some stories about that guy before. Maybe he passed by for whatever reason, he he did not want to take the time and the energy to have compassion on someone who'd been hurt. So too a Levite, another religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. It is not a secret to you, and nor do I find it surprising. The longer you live life, the more you understand there will be those that pass by. In your moments of hurt, in your moments of pain, when life has been unfair and you're, you're struggling and you, you feel like half the life has been beaten out of you by life, there will be those that pass by. But this morning, I want to remind us they are not our focus, nor will they help bring the change that this time demands of us. Then verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. That, that's interesting to me. The Samaritan came where the man was. He did not take the approach that broken, hurting people should come to where I am. He went to where he was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, in the story that Jesus tells to teach us who our neighbor is, remember the question in the context, he chooses someone we would not have chosen. Because if you lived in that culture, if you lived in that, if I lived in that culture, if we were the norm of the day in that day and time, Samaritans were less than. They were viewed as the lowest of society. They were viewed as outcast in part because they were racially mixed. And in that culture, that was completely unacceptable. They were viewed by the society of the day as the outcast of society, the worst possible human beings, not even fully human. That's, that's how they were viewed. And in the story that Jesus tells, he uses that individual, the Samaritan, to be the one that actually makes a difference. Verse 34, he went to him, this Samaritan, and he bandaged his wounds. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Because what you and I truly believe is revealed in the actions we take day by day and how we respond to hurting people, how we respond to people that have been beaten up by culture and society, how we respond to people that are viewed as less than by other people, how we respond to people that other people are just passing by, not even taking the time to be aware of the one who's hurting and the damage that's been done. When I read this passage, it's striking to me that the most unlikely did the most unlikely. The Jewish religious leaders of that day passed by. They had intellect, they had degrees, they had memorized a lot of their Bible. They were in church all the time and wanted everybody to know it. They were very proud of their own religion. They looked down on everybody else. And with all of their credentials and all of their knowledge, all of their background and experience, this Samaritan had something they lacked. Compassion for the person in trouble. See, our neighbor is not only the one near to us, our neighbor is 
the person in trouble who's near to us. And Jesus tells the story, and then he asks this question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of the three? The next day in the verse before, he takes out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And when he says, I will reimburse you, he's saying, I'm going to take care of this. I'm not going to wait for somebody else. I'm not going to wait for somebody else that's more qualified. I'm not going to wait for somebody else that that has more money than I do. I'm not going to wait for somebody else. I'm going to do everything I can to take responsibility for caring for this person who's been harmed. So Jesus asked the natural question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law. You can be an expert in a lot of things. But if you're not an expert in how to love people, you're going to miss the fullness of life. And you're going to live a unique kind of misery. The expert in the law. Right now, it seems to me that there are a lot of experts in the law. I'm hearing a lot of different things as facts or opinions continue to come out, and the truth is there are many things we don't know. But one of the things that troubles me as those who are self-proclaimed experts speak to what has taken place and the tragedy and the horror of it, you begin to hear things like, well, he had, he had some issues in the past, Mr. Arbery, with law enforcement. Well, maybe, maybe he was in a place he shouldn't have been. Are, are you serious? He walked into a home under construction. It was assumed he was burglarizing that home. Maybe, maybe not from, from what I've seen. I don't believe that's the case. But even if it were, are, are you serious? Are, are we really going to go to the place that unless your track record and your history is absolutely perfect, if somebody kills you, it's on you. I mean, is, is that really who we want to be? We, we've become such experts in going to our corners in issues like this and defending our position that we overlook the reality. This is a human life. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So what does mercy demand of me as a follower of Jesus? What does mercy look like? Mercy to be mercy must be expressed to the individual we're showing mercy toward. Mercy is not just a thought that I have. Mercy is not just a feeling that I feel. Mercy is action put into place by what I feel and what I think. And Jesus tells a story of the most unlikely, doing the most unlikely, and showing mercy, and he says, do that. So yes, our our world is tragically broken. But our faith compels us. Even in a broken world, we must rise above the brokenness with genuine compassion, with real concern for those who've been rejected, for those who've been ignored, for those who've been beaten and left for dead. Or even worse. Now I do need to remind you. Because it is true. That there's going to come a time. 
that we will no longer live in a broken world, that there's going to be a time where God makes all the wrongs right, and there's not going to be any killing, and there won't be any bombing, there won't be any corona or cancer, but, but in the meantime, while there are many things we can do, there are a few things we must do. Because some of the things being done, see, you and I have to decide in what we do is our desire to make noise or to bring change. Because there's a lot of things we can do that will make noise, but not affect any real results. Isn't the goal to bring change so lives are not lost or taken uselessly? When I see this story, I realize that for this man who was beaten, Injustice left him there, but kindness found him there. And the kindness came from the most unlikely person. So for a moment, let me just speak to those of you that are part of C3 Church. Let's not be predictably ignorant as the church at large in our nation on so many occasions has been about so many things. Let's not choose to be ignorant and predictably ignorant and doing what the church has done and devaluing certain lives and overvaluing other lives. Let's be the church of Jesus. Let's be unlikely and shock the world with an unpredictable response. Unlikely because it is not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to be selfish. But what if we were to step out of ourselves and exercise some sympathy in thinking about what, what if that was your son? Would there have been a better way to handle this? The outcome is so tragically unnecessary. And that is what is viewed by anyone who looks at this with an honest approach, understanding the young man who lost his life is just as deeply loved by God as you are and as I am. So, what do we believe? As a follower of Jesus, we have to ask, what, what do we really believe? Well, in this nation, under God, our, our government even says that we believe that all men are created equal. But I think we have to understand the reality that while that's the experience for many, for others, it's simply words on paper that continues to be a dream that has yet to be realized. Our government says all men are created equal. We say we believe that, but do we, do we live like that? Because how we live reflects how we truly believe, and many of the things that we say we believe, we do not actually believe because we don't live lives consistent often with what we say we believe. We hold a document by our government that says all men are created equal, but when you see somebody that's different than you, how do you view them? Do we really believe all men are created equal? But before our government and our founders wrote this document, there was something else with much larger consequence. Our Bible says that we are all made by God and for God and with a purpose from God. Our Bible teaches us, teaches us that every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. What that means is there is not one single person on planet earth, no matter how different from you they are, there is not one person that God values or loves any less than he loves you. And there's not one person that he loves or values any more than he loves and values you. 
I grow weary hearing the justifications and the excuses for what seems to happen over and over again. And somehow many in our culture have become so calloused because of what they view as justifiable excuses and reasons to rationalize away. And what you don't recognize that you're doing is you're just passing by. We believe that God loves every single human being. We believe that Jesus died on a cross for every single person. It's one of the reasons that I celebrate who C3 is and who you are and what you're a part of and the diversity that adds to the richness of our culture. And it is a benefit to be embraced. It's not something to be ignored or shunned. Now, because we believe that, here's what you need to know. If you're in Central Florida and maybe you've never been to C3 and you're watching us online and you're thinking, man, I I think I want to go check that church out when we can start meeting again, which hopefully will be soon, hopefully will be soon. But if you're thinking that, I, I need to tell you, if there's anything in your heart and life where you diminish, devalue, or view differently or less than you, someone of a different race. I want you to understand very, very clearly, if you come to C3, you're going to have a problem with me because I'm going to do the best I can every single week to preach what Scripture teaches. And the, and, and the same Bible that says we need to love God also says love others. And, and it doesn't qualify that based on who we prefer to love. You and I, we don't pick our neighbors. God does. And we also need to understand, I, I think it's important to step back and understand and remember, we're all in the same family. We all go back to the same way back, same father, same mother, Adam and Eve. So what that means is we're all part of the family of God. So if you have a problem with another race, if, if, if you don't prefer to be around people of another race, you're going to have a serious problem with me because I recognize we are all people that God created and God made. We are all made in the image of God. And what that means is no matter who you are, sir, you are my brother, maybe from a different mother, but you're my brother. We're a part of God's family. You're also going to have a problem with our church because people that sit in the life of this church and people that function and serve in the life of this church and people that go out from this church and serve in the community because the church is actually the people. We are a church that celebrates diversity. We are a church that finds value in being among people who are not just like us, but people who are different than us. And if in your heart you have any tendencies toward being racist, And maybe one of the ways you know is you found yourself telling some stories where you say things like, I'm not racist, but. Hey, listen, we we all know the truth. And if that's who you are and that's the reality in which you live, listen, if you're willing to understand that according to what Scripture teaches, God's perspective, that's called sin. And you're willing to say, man, this is an area in my life that that that. I've embraced some sinful thoughts and attitudes, and man, I I want God to help me change that. Hey, then you're welcome here, because the reality is we're all sinners. But if you want to stay steeped in viewing people that are different than you as less than you, you won't like it here. And by the way, you won't really like heaven either. That's what we believe, but what do we do? What do we do? It's the other question that we have to ask and answer. What do we do? We can respond in anger, and that would be understandable. We can respond in sadness with grief and tears. That would be normal. It would mean you're not callous and the loss of any human life is devastating. 
we can respond in wanting to right the wrong. We can do that. But could I suggest what I believe is a higher response? Let's be the most unlikely doing the most unlikely. Because as the world gets darker and darker and darker, the church must shine brighter and brighter and brighter. So how do we do that? What do we do? We love. Jesus said, love God, love others. That's the big deal. We love. And love demands that we pray. There's some things we can do that will actually be beneficial, that will actually improve our culture, our society, and how we connect and how we love each other. Let's not do the things that diminish that. Let's pray. Love demands we pray. We pray for Mr. Arbery, his family, his mother, his father, his friends, people that were connected with him and the significant loss that they've experienced. We pray for the two men that have been arrested, for their family, that God would somehow use this in, in their lives to draw them to him. See, Jesus also tells us as followers of Christ, what do we do? We, we have to forgive, and sometimes forgiving takes a whole lot of prayer because you and I were not created to forgive. We were created to live in a perfect garden. We were never supposed to have to forgive. So forgiveness is something that requires something supernatural happening in us. It's something only God can do. But if God has forgiven me through what Jesus did for me, then I have a responsibility as a follower of Christ to forgive. But forgiveness and pursuing forgiveness does not mean we don't pursue justice. We pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for our friends. We pray for the people that we will have conversations with. And some will agree with our opinion and how we see things, and others may not. But even in that, we pray for them. What do we do? Love demands we pray, and it also requires that we practice our faith. That we be a people who actually live what we say we believe. That we are not the kind of people that say we believe one thing, but then we simply pass by the people who on the road of life, in life, have been beaten up and left for dead. We are the kind of people that are compassionate. And we practice our faith. We live in a way that how we live, not just what we say, how we live reveals that we actually believe what we say we believe. That we value every single person, that every person is precious. And it becomes evident Because practicing our faith is loving God, practicing our faith is loving God and loving others. And also we share our Jesus. I don't know that there's ever been a time that this has been more important. Because the greatest need that we have in our culture, the greatest need of any human being, is a relationship with the living God. Our greatest problems will not be solved by politicians. Now I believe it's important to be passionate about what you believe and how you vote. Those are things we should be involved in in this nation of of freedoms with people that have died to give us that freedom. But I think it's important to understand that that our, our politicians, while we must pray for them and vote based on the policies we believe are best, our politicians are not going to solve our problems. Our greatest problems will not be solved by new laws. Maybe the laws need to be looked at. Maybe there's some things that need to be changed. I'm not a legal expert. I don't pretend to be. I don't know the answer to that. But if that needs to take place, man, let's do this. Let's do that. But, but new laws, different laws are not going to solve our problems. People break the law all the time. Better education is not going to solve our problems. When you look at how much money we spend on education and how we dive into that, and it seems to me that as we've become more educated, we've become less detached to the reality that God loves every single person. I don't think more education or better education, while being extremely important, 
We value education. It's just not going to solve our greatest problems. Our deepest problem is a sin problem. We have a pandemic of sin that too often leads to an epidemic of hate. And the only cure is Jesus. The one who came to die for us, to live for us, to shed his blood for us, who rose for us. The one who has the the ability to forgive our sin, even the sin of viewing other people as less than or is not valuable. Let's be a people continuing to pursue a dream. Remembering that, quote, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Dr. King was not even 40 years old when he filled the mall at Washington with over 250,000 people. And he shared that speech because he had a dream, but it was beyond a dream. It was a calling and it was something that would impact the culture. Are the greatest dreams that we have, dreams for who we can become and how much we can have and what we can attain, or or are our dreams attached to a calling as followers of Christ to leave this world a better place than we found it, to, to create the kind of culture where every single person is valued, to create a better world for our children to grow up in, a world full of harmony. And while Dr. Dreams, Dr. King's dream has not yet come to reality, we can see the picture of that reality found in the scriptures, even in a passage like the one we looked at this morning. So the question for you and the question for me is, will we be the people who advance that dream? See, in all of the noise, in all of the hurt, in all of the pain, in all of the opinions, in all of the chaos, somebody has to show people how to get along. Somebody has to stand up and be counted among the most unlikely, doing the most unlikely, showing people what love looks like, even when we disagree about something. The voice of love must be louder than the voice of hate. And as followers of Jesus, it is our responsibility, it is our calling to bring healing into brokenness. You and I are supposed to bring hope into despair and comfort into pain. And in our pain, one of the things we pray for is justice. And our God, I believe, understands that. And we trust Him for it. And we let Him guide us on how we pursue it. And while we celebrate cultural diversity, and we cherish those traditions unique to all the different people our God created, we must remember that that while we may be different races ethnically, we are all a part of the human race created by God to love Him and to love every single person He ever created. What will define us will not be how loud we yell or how often we post or how angry we may become. We may do those things. But this great moment of tragedy demands that we rise above what is likely in common. What will define us is how uncommon our love will be. The scriptures tell us to defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. We are to be a people that that don't just believe with people and stand with people, but we fight with people against injustice. The scriptures also say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God lays out in his word, hey, those pursuing peace, those fighting for peace, those striving for harmony, the people who are spreading peace in a contagious way based on how they live, those are the kids that I want to have my name on their jerseys. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So we pray. Love demands it. We practice our faith. Love requires it. We share our Jesus. 
the people you know and the people I know, and even we desperately need him. It's how we fulfill a dream that was given to Dr. King by a God who dreamed it first. Creating many races as part of the human race. To live in harmony, loving God and loving each other. And maybe today as you hear this, you recognize that you may have been passed by. You may have been ignored. You may have been rejected. But I want you to understand this morning, you are deeply loved by God. You are deeply loved by me and our team and C3 Church. You matter. You are special. You're important. You have value. And there's no one that has more value than you. But to fully experience that, to know what it is to live in the freedom of knowing God, you you have to take that step of faith and surrender your life to Christ. See, eternal life, what this religious leader asked about early on, it's it's available, but it's not automatic. And in a broken, messed up world, as the darkness increases to truly be the light, it is impossible without knowing God in a personal way. But to, experience, to, to be able to experience your sin forgiven and the Spirit of God living inside you, the one can, who can give you strength on the days that you feel weak and the one who can give you comfort in the moments that hurt the most, Hey, to experience that, you've got to be a follower of Christ. It's what Scripture teaches. It's the reason Jesus came. So today, if you would like to commit your life to Christ, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. It will be the most life-changing, eternity-changing decision you've ever made. To have the living God, the Spirit of God alive inside of you, sins forgiven and His power available to you. And I can't think of a reason not to make that decision. I... I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are and just pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I need you. Please forgive my sin. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. Help me to be a person that represents you well. God, I want to love you. And to, I, I want to love others. Pray that that would be my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.